Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder here in the Oklahoman's podcast studio. Sitting to my right, my co-host, Justin Wingeter. Justin, what's going on, man? Hey, not much, not much. Well, just the two of us this week, no guest, no guest, no Dale. Um, so we'll have to carry the show. Um, but a big week in politics, lots to discuss. The uh, partial federal government shutdown continues. I know you've been writing quite a bit about that this week and uh, want to get your thoughts on, on what you've seen and uh, where if there is an end in sight. I'm not sure that there is one at this point. Um, also, a uh, bill filing deadline at the state capitol this week. We saw kind of a, a dump of bills. And I always kind of think about this time. Have you ever seen that big the big uh, uh, the rubber duck race in Chicago? Oh, yeah. Like they, yeah. P- they pile it all into the river. And <laughs> it's just a mass of ducks. And then by the end, there's only a few. And that's kind of uh-huh. what this bill filing is. Most of them don't stand a chance for a variety of reasons. Um, but there are some that are already getting some attention. So we'll get into that. But let's start by talking about... Oklahoma's new governor, Kevin Stitt, who took office on Monday, a slate of inauguration activities last week. Uh, you, were, you were with me down in Lawton um, for an inaugural event. He has an inauguration ceremony at noon at the Capitol on Monday, the inaugural ball that night, uh, and then already jumped into to the weeds of governing. His big focus this week was meeting with his cabinet, which he did on Thursday, and then diving into his executive budget that he'll uh, present to lawmakers here in a few weeks. And uh, Justin, I have to ask yourself, or I, to, I want to ask you um, about uh, you know this whole idea of, of running government like a business. Stitt has talked about that during his campaign, and now he finally gets a chance to prove it. And I kind of know what business now he has in mind, and and, <laughs> yeah. and that is a uh, a maybe a fast food restaurant. And the reason I say that is because two of his key cabinet appointments, um, Secretary of Agency Accountability John Budd is a former Sonic Corporation executive, and his secretary of digital transformation and administration is going to be David Ostro, a name that I wasn't familiar with, but is the owner of a rather large restaurant group or, or chain. I, I believe there's some Taco Bells and some Burger Kings in the mix, but has um, is kind of known for um, changing the trajectory of of fast food restaurants or, or maybe some other restaurants. And at first blush, that may kind of that may seem kind of silly. I think most people's experience with fast food restaurant is um, probably not great or <laughs> just basic, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, you go through the drive-through, you go to the counter, you get your food, and you go. But there's actually kind of a lot of like technology involved in the fast food industry. A lot of metrics. Um, you know, these these corporations, these chains, society you know, looking deep into the data on not just where to set up shop, but how to move people through, um, you know, larger numbers. So I don't know, maybe that I'm, I, I think that maybe the restaurant industry maybe brings a lot more to the table than, than may meet the eye. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in meeting the requirements of government, you are treating people like customers, I, I guess, in some well, ways. Let's talk a lot about that. Yeah, that's uh, that's really important. The difference is that, you know, businesses can pick and choose. Not everyone is a customer of a business, whereas government has to represent all people and everyone has to be, uh, it has to be accessible to all people, or at least everyone who qualifies for certain benefits. So 
Uh, There's a little difference there. Businesses can pretty much just say, we're not going to reach this segment of the population. Government can't do that or shouldn't do that at least. Uh, Fast food. I I don't know if I've given that much thought. That is interesting. Uh, There is a lot of innovation in it. There's a lot of uh, expediency in the the desire to always get things out faster, quicker, you know, move things through. So that sounds like some of what uh, Governor Stitt has talked about. Yeah, I mean, innovation maybe is a good word, and I'm not an expert on this, and I plan to do some more reporting on this to see what these two gentlemen in particular bring to the table given their professional experience. But, um, you know, I had a chance several years ago for a variety of reasons. I found myself getting a tour of a new McDonald's, which didn't sound exciting at all. Um, but I actually went back behind the scenes, and there's a little bit more technology and maybe some innovation than you would expect, even though the customer experience at a fast food restaurant has remained fairly unchanged, although it's starting to change recently with the you know, the introduction of tablets and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there has kind of been a lot of innovation around the idea of, of fast food co- uh, companies and, um, and kind of how you move product. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see. I guess... What I find kind of fascinating, and I always have about, you know, Governor Stitt kind of running on this uh, this slogan of, of run government like a business, is it's not a new slogan. And there's a lot of people who don't like it, particularly Democrats, who kind of scoff at that, right? Yeah. That's because so many Republicans have talked about running government like a business. And there are quite a few lawmakers at the Capitol who do run a business, but they're mainly like kind of small mom and pop shops or they might be an insurance agent or they may have their own law firm. A law firm, yeah, I, I was going to say. <laughs> I, I think it's a little different. I'm not saying it's going to be good or bad. I just think it's a little different with this current governor from where he came from as a CEO of a, of a, of a major company. I mean, I know a lot of people kind of point to the biggest example of that right now is the president, but you know, I still think there's kind of apples and oranges a little bit compared to comparing Stitt to Trump in that refer- in that regard. Yeah, there are some comparisons there that make sense between Stitt and Trump, and there are some that don't. Uh, it's um, it's going to be interesting. I, I, you point out a lot of people have had this idea, or even still have this idea of running government like a business. Um, I don't know how often it's, you know, they, ever re- they reach the end of their tenure, whatever it may be, and feel like they, they were able to do that. Um, government is quite a bit different than business. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be. It should be in some ways. So you often realize, I think a lot of people come in with a mindset and then often realize that's not really applicable in some ways. And in some ways it might be, uh, but in a lot of ways I don't think it is. So I'm curious where he picks and chooses to decide or, you know, to take this business-like approach and what exactly that means. Those are some vague terms. I know he's gotten into some specifics at times, but the idea of running government like a business is a generality. It's a, it's a vague term you hear a lot. What does that mean in practice? <clears throat> Excuse me, is what we'll, you know, the nuts and bolts, obviously, is what we want to see. Yeah, well, I mean, you're right. It is this kind of overused term. And, you know, and there are other kind of like, you know, similar terms. I, I remember with this week when Stitt, I think during his inauguration ad- address, kind of gave this emphatic, uh, you know, part where he said, Oklahoma is open for business. I'm. We have all probably heard that oh, yeah. at some point. Fill in the blank with the state. Yeah. And we've all heard that here in Oklahoma. Some other people were pointing out, uh, you know, that Fallon had used that in some of her speeches, and other Oklahoma politicians have used it in their speeches. I, once again, I'm not saying it's going to be good or bad. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. But um, I do think that for Stitt, you know, running government like a business means something a little different than what we've heard in the past. 
and usually when politicians say run government like a business, they're kind of talking about the the spending component. Like don't 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 spend more than you have. Although businesses do that all the time, you know, <laughs> taking out debt and, and, and investments and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but there's kind of a practicalityness to business that I think that's what I think that's what politicians mean most of the time. That you know, government seems to be in chaos. I want to bring some stability and some practicalness to the table. In the same way that let's say. You know, the mayor of a city like Mayor David Holt may say, hey, you know, federal government is a mess. But here at City Hall at the municipal level, you know, we have to have balanced budgets. We have to provide services. We have to kind of be practical with our with with how we conduct ourselves. And so that's usually how I I think politicians mean it. I think where they often get frustrated is that businesses that are largely run by one person or a handful of small people Mm -hmm. at the top. You don't have checks and balances <laughs> in the same way, um, unless you have a board of directors or trustees or something. Even then, it, you're sort of a limited amount of people running things. Obviously, in government, you uh, have checks and balances, and that's the system, and it should be the system. And and that comes with frustration. Um, you you get knocked down by the courts every once in a while, or you uh, you certainly do battle with the legislature. And so he, uh, and I'm not saying anything he doesn't already know, but. He has to work with a lot more people than he had to work with in business um, to get things done. And uh, those relationships, I've said before, I, I think his at least his first term, I don't know if he'll have two or not, but at least the first term is largely going to be defined by his relationship with the legislature. If they are in sync, they can get a lot done. I mean, when you have a, you know, a huge majority like that and – uh, you control the you know the governor's office as well. You can do a lot very fast. Um, if they're battling back and forth, if he doesn't have a good communication strategy, and Governor Fallon struggled with this at the t- at times, and she uh, in the legislature, despite being of the same party, often you know we're in disagreement. I think it really cost her um, some some points in the grand scheme of things during her uh, governorship, and I. Uh, Stitt needs to do better than that, um, and uh, we'll see. I mean, I think if he gets into that mindset of a business too much, then he is going to be frustrated when he's not the only one running things. Yeah, and you say that he's going to be working with more people. That's true, and he's going to be working with people who aren't nece- who don't necessarily share his goal and his agenda. And that's another difference from running yeah. a business. I mean, usually with your, you know, your if you're the CEO of a, of a of a major company and you have you know several VPs or directors or whatever you have. Um, even if you have vendors and you know different outlets and call centers, uh, you bring them all to the table. Um, you may not agree with how they're conducting themselves, but everyone, for the most part, is supposed to be on the same page, working towards the same goal, has the same agenda. That's not the case in government. Yes, on some issues, you know, House and Senate leadership may be on the same page with Stitt, but uh, you know, there's, despite the fact that they have such a small minority, you know, t- Democrats are going to be important at some point, and they're not going to have the same overall agenda and goal. Um, as the governor, he's going to have to work with members of his own party or going to have other goals and other agendas and other, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So that's going to be that's going to be different. Um, and, you know, you know, because he ran on this outsiders, uh, you know, label, every hire he makes is going to be, def- you know, everyone's if was it an insider or was it an outsider? And if, if he hired an insider, he's going to get criticized for hiring an insider. If he hires an outsider, well, he's still going to get criticized because that's what happens. But, you know, people say, oh, he's living up to his promise. What's interesting to me is I mentioned those two cabinet positions that are coming from the private sector, and there are a couple others. Uh, Sean Copeland, 
who is his Secretary of Commerce, is a CEO of Region Bank. Um, but you look at his Secretary of Budget is uh, Mike Mazzi, the former senator and chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. And his Secretary mm-hmm. of State is Michael Rogers, a former state representative. So the two, the two cabinet members that are probably going to have the most uh, face time with the legislature in terms of for, you know, pushing through his agenda, and then the Secretary of Budget obviously being instrumental in putting together the budget, they have that insider experience. So he hasn't completely ignored you know, the institutional knowledge. I think he's right to to not ignore that. I, I think those are good positions to have insiders in. And when you're dealing with the legislature, it certainly helps to have people who have been there. So it, it just would not have made sense, in my opinion, to have all outsiders. He's No one's going to confuse him as some kind of inside guy. I mean, uh, it's clear who he was and who people elected. So it, it doesn't mean you can't have a few people, when it makes sense, who know this, this game of politics. Yeah. And... You know, another thing in terms of how, what kind of style is he bringing, what kind of principles from the private sector is he bringing to governor, and, and it's one weekend, still a lot to be determined. He had his first cabinet meeting. From those I've talked to who are in the room, it was kind of run like a CEO, that there was, <coughs> excuse me, that, uh, that it was high energy, it was high paced, that uh, you know, I heard that the, the governor is, is, is putting a lot of pressure on his cabinet members. Um, he's expecting them to bring specific goals and specific metrics to the table. Um, he's also focusing a lot on the budget, his executive budget that he'll present in a few weeks. And I've also been told that that process is moving a little slower than you might expect because he is so involved. And you would expect a governor to be involved, but you also have a staff and, you know, you kind of put your goals out there and they kind of put it together. Right. Um, but he is so involved. One reason he's involved is as they say he's just asking questions that a governor normally wouldn't ask. Part of that may be the learning curve. He's trying to catch up. He's he's interact. You know, he's interacting with numbers and ideas for the first time. But it looks like he's also trying to take a pretty detailed look at all government spending. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of um, does that delay things for him because of the learning curve and his desire to to really get into the weeds. I, I, I'm curious to see how long that's going to last. Is he going to is how you know is he going to realize that at some point he has to kind of step away from things? Probably. Yeah. You see that. Um one kind of similar example is uh, during the campaign of Kendra Horn, she, is a, she was a former campaign manager, and she often wanted to run every little detail. And her actual campaign manager had to tell her, you're the candidate now. Take a step back. There, you just can't be making every single decision. That's amplified even more. You talk about an office like governor. You just can't. You, there's no time in the day to do to micromanage every little thing. You, you hire people. And you appoint cabinet members for a reason so that they can run into, you know, certain areas of the government. You're, you just can't run everything. You, there's just not the time in the day. So you'll probably get more trusting of people. I'm sure he wants to do everything right away on day one. That's kind of the tendency, especially for people who have not been in government before. Um, but, you know, he'll, he'll figure it out. He'll, he'll get situated. He'll get more comfortable with the people and leave more responsibilities to them. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch about how, how does he bring his business style to office. And, um, and, and once again, candidates saying that they want to run government like a business. Nothing new there, but I think there's some difference with Stitt that's going to be very interesting to watch. And we'll see if he's successful or not. Well, let's uh, move on to some other topics. Uh, I mentioned that uh, bill filing deadline was this week. So we saw a wave of bills you know, filed that kind of speak to maybe where some of the focus is going to be. Um, one relating to the governor, uh, you know, some bills that were filed, uh, Senate president pro tem Greg treat 
has filed a series of bills to give the governor more power over hiring and firing agency directors. directors. This was something Stitt said that he wanted, and it looks like legislative leadership, at least, is willing to give it to him. Yeah, that's uh, it's a good sign for Stitt that he has some early agreement from the legislature. And uh, obviously, if, if the Senate pro tem is interested, then the bill at least has a good shot in the Senate. So uh, it's probably a good start. It, it's a bit of a gesture, I think, uh, on the part of the Senate uh, to say, you know, at least Senate Republicans, to say, um, you know, we're on board with you uh, at least to start. Well, let's try to get things going uh, in, a, in a good way from the start. You know what I can't, what I here's what I like about it and I don't like about it or what I see the pros and the cons of it of, of, of giving the governor more power. Thinking purely as a journalist, I like the fact that it puts the, it, you know it makes the governor's office responsible for more things. I mean, it gives you you know the state's top executive now is accountable for for more state agencies for more issues. Um, you know, when the health department you know loses quote unquote thirty million dollars, yeah. the governor is now more responsible for it, whether he or she knew about it or not. If you are now in charge of of, uh, of of hiring or firing the director of that department, now you kind of have some accountability. You've got some some more skin in the game. Um, the other thing, but the the con is, and once again speaking as a journalist, I think the con is is you may lose. Um, Agency directors feeling free to speak their mind. I mean, it's not like the, the, the agency and department directors are just rogue free agents right now that are, um, you know, battling with the governor's office. That's not the case. But I think about the Department of Corrections and the current director, Joe Alba, mm-hmm. has been very open about the fact that the prison system in Oklahoma is a mess, to, you know, to put it mildly. Yeah. Um, that he needs, you know almost $2 billion to build two new prisons to keep up with the nation's highest incarceration rate, I wonder if he would be so outspoken about the problems. I wonder if he would put out a figure that he knows doesn't have a chance of getting approved by the legislature and the governor if the governor was his direct boss. Interesting point. I haven't given that much thought. Um, Literally, will he do it? Yeah, I think Joe Albaugh will keep talking. Yes, Uh, and yeah, if you haven't, if you don't follow uh, Albaugh on Twitter, if you really don't even follow the Department of Corrections on Twitter, Twitter just one example. He is a very outspoken agency head. I mean, there was a, I forget, some point last year, there was a um, a riot or some sort of incident in another prison elsewhere in the country, not not close to Oklahoma, where he tweeted that this sort of thing could happen in Oklahoma right now. I mean, he he is a direct, you know, I mean, his critics would say alarmist probably, but he is certainly raising some kind of an alarm over and over and over again and really hammering it home. You're right. I mean, you do... I think, again, as a journalist, sort of appreciate that. And I think at least inside the meetings, I mean, inside cabinet meetings, you want that from your agency heads. You want the truth. You want them to give it to you pretty straight and raw. I don't know if you want them saying it publicly <laughs> as much as uh, Alwal does, but um, that'll be interesting. I, I don't think, again, speaking just as uh, about the Correction secretary, he's going to keep doing it, but you probably get less of that. Yeah, I see your point. Well, and I think, uh, you know, if, if the governor were to say hypothetically that the you know, prison system is on the right track or, you know, we don't need more beds or whatever it may be, and you call the director of the Department of Corrections, you know, now you're probably going to get a rebuttal to that idea. But if the, depart- if the director has been hired by the governor, the response is probably going to be, 
We'll get back to you. And in the meantime, they're going to be checking with the governor's office to say, what are the talking points here? What, yeah. are, the, what are we have to be said? You know, what do you want us to be saying here? You know, I also think it's going to change kind of how budgets are proposed. I mean, it's pretty common practice for agencies to pr- propose to ask for more than they know they're going to get. Part of this is a is an exercise in making a point. You know, Department of Education, um, which is, you know, you know, operated by a governor-appointed board, but then a, an elected state superintendent. Mm-hmm. Um, so does, and, and it's not included in this bill for, for the governor to have higher and firepower over, but the Department of Education is asking for more than $400 million, $400 million in new revenue this year that they know they're not going to get all of that. But it gives them a chance to say, here are our major issues with, with class sizes and, and professional training for teacher and counselors and all these other things. Well, the governor's probably not going to want you to be asking for more than you can get to put the, you know, to put pressure on them hmm. um, if they're if you're if they now work for you. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I just think that's going to be an interesting thing, and I, it and is. I I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of if the legislature just kind of signs on on this. I mean, House and Senate leaders are on board. Um, I haven't even heard Democrats really say that they're adamantly against it, although they they probably will, you know, raise some concerns. Um, and I've been looking actually for, for Republicans who may be kind of cool to this idea and I haven't found any yet. So this seems to be one of these major reform measures that Stitt talked about that right now seems likely to go through. Um, but once the bill goes into committee, if it makes it to the floor, um, then we'll actually start to see where the debate lies. But I think that's going to be an interesting thing, interesting thing to follow. Um, well, Justin, let's also talk as, as we kind of wrap up this week's episode, uh, you know, about the government shutdown, um, which is just ongoing and, you know, obviously a lot of the coverage coming out of D.C. is the politics of this, you know, the, the battle between House Democrats and the president. Um, and there's plenty of coverage on that, but, but an important coverage, but also important coverage that you've been doing is just, you know, the real world implications of this. And in like many cities across the country, Oklahoma City has impacted this by the employees that are not getting paid or having to work without a paycheck or, you know, students that are, aren't able, able to train. And, and you've continued to kind of follow this. Yeah, I don't even know where to begin because there there's just so much. I mean, in a capital city, you tend to have a lot of government workers, and that includes federal government workers. And uh, as of uh, Wednesday night, the last numbers I got were yesterday, 636 uh, federal employees have filed for unemployment here in Oklahoma. I mean, these are people, they're filing for unemployment. They are not unemployed. They are plenty, you know, they are gainfully employed, usually. Um, They have a federal government job. Many of them have had it for decades, but they're not working right now, or if they are working, they can't be paid. And so they will get back pay. The president has signed a law that allows for that, but that doesn't help you pay the bills right now. And there is no clear sign of a an end to the shutdown. There is not a day where you can say, by this time, it will probably be back. Um, I would have thought it would have been back weeks ago. So I have I have no idea. No one has much of an idea. And you have people filing for unemployment right now. It's um, really a, a stark sign that they're hurting. I mean, there are people who are hurting. We, we just heard about, uh, before we came in the studio, about a, a food bank being organized right now for federal employees. I mean, you have something coming close to bread lines for people who are, you know, again, gainfully employed by the government of the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And people are helping them out right now. They're, you know, which is terrific. And it's, it's terrific, of course, that people are raising those sort of 
raising money, raising, you know, helping out however they can. The, the YMCA has uh, begun offering financial assistance to its members who are federal employees because some are going to drop their membership. They're, you know, cutting costs right now. Uh, some gyms uh, downtown where we are, the Museum of Art has, you know, allowed for free entry uh, for federal employees. Uh, the National uh, Museum and Memorial has as well. And, and so it's just, it's it's really all over the place right now. And there was a, a sense before the shutdown happened that this will not be very painful. It's a quarter of the government. It's, you know, some. it's not Department of Defense, for example. And sure, the, it would certainly have been much worse if it included DOD. But people are still feeling the pain, even if it's not, you know, a massive number of people. It's, it's 800,000 across the country right now. It's uh, thousands in here in Oklahoma um, who are either furloughed or working without pay. It's hard to get an exact number because the spokespeople who would tell you that are themselves <laughs> furloughed. And so they are, you try to reach out to them and the emails just bounce back or the email, you know, the phone goes straight to voicemail. They can't, I, I we just don't know exactly how many people, for example, are um, furloughed at the NOAA, uh, the Weather Service uh, offices down in Norman. And we, we've heard of furloughs, uh, just can't get exact numbers there. Uh, the Bureau of Prisons, for example, there are two federal prisons and a transfer facility here in Oklahoma that are, you know, those people, the guards are working or corrections officers are working, but without pay. Um, but we can't get exact numbers on that because uh, the Bureau of Prisons is not saying right now. So it's it's tough to tell exactly how many people this affects. But when you get unemployment numbers like that, that starts to shed some light. And then it just puts it into stark terms that uh, some federal employees right now are really hurting. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the longer this goes, the longer it seems it'll last. And what I mean by that is that it just it, it there, there, there seems to be kind of no end inside i think initially you know after a few days you th- there were kind of there are some initial milestones that you thought okay this is going to put some pressure this is going to put some pressure yeah. and then maybe the last one was the longest in u.s history We've, we're well, well past that right now and it didn't seem like there's any any additional movement right now between you know between the two sides you know following this last week's election or last year's election um, you know, the Oklahoma delegation now is split on the matter, you know, one to four. But, uh, you know, Oklahoma now is a Democratic uh, congresswoman. Um, and, you know, Kendra Horn is backing her party's leadership on this matter. Um, but uh, Republicans in, in the Senate aren't uh, aren't willing to take it up. Yeah. And it's um, it, I remember talking with a, a congressional staffer before the shutdown. It was a few days before. And it looked, you know, eminent at that point. And I remember asking how long this thing could last. And. The staffer thought, uh, and what sounds really smart now, and at the time I kind of laughed at, it'll last either a day or a month. And I thought a month was crazy. (laughs) Uh, It's not so crazy anymore. But what that person meant was that it it either, you know, you either find a compromise right away because nobody wants this, or the two sides get dug in and then there's no clear out because neither side wants to quit. Neither side wants to cave, as a as the president likes to, you know, the term the president likes to use. And um, Tom Cole has been really frustrated about this and has been talked about this uh, quite a few times. That there's no reason this should continue. There's no reason that two sides that are just a few billion dollars apart should not be able to reach a number in the middle or find some sort of compromise. But both sides have decided that any kind of give, any kind of, uh, you know, compromise 
is a cave and that they will lose. And their base on both sides is saying, do not lose. Do not give up this fight. We've gone four weeks already. Why would you quit now? And that's a really bad place to be in in government uh, when compromising looks like a loss because no one wants to lose in politics. And that's understandable to a point. Uh, But a compromise should not be a loss. Uh, Unfortunately, that's that's where we're at. So I, you know, I, I just don't know exactly what the answer is right now because neither side wants to be seen as losing. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like a sporting event. The longer it goes, the more overtimes you have, the more extra innings <laughs> you go, the, 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 you know, the more the loss hurts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, kind of, you know, you kind of start to fear the loss more than, you know, looking forward to the win. Um, and, uh, and it's politics. Everything is judged in wins and losses. And even if there is a compromise, both sides are going to be still wondering how do we come out looking like we're on top on this one right now. Um, and you mentioned Horn. I think she got, she, she, her and some House Democrats got in at the right time. If there is a right time to, they're the only class of uh, Congress to ever come into office during a shutdown. But I think they came in in some ways in the right way. And what I mean by that is Horn and other Democrats, uh, because they run the House, can just pass bills constantly that fund the government. They go nowhere in the Senate. But in a shutdown or really any government situation, you want to be seen as doing things. Yeah, People yeah. always want you to do stuff, do something. The, what you don't want is to be seen as either blocking things or just not doing anything. That's the worst. <laughs> just in terms of public perception. Yeah, and actual policy, even our, our listeners can decide who has it right here and who has it wrong. I'm not saying either side has it right. But one side looks is going to look a little better when they pass bills that reopen agencies. You can pass a bill that puts 1,700 people at the Moroni Center in southwest Oklahoma City back to work or pays them for the work they're doing. That looks really good. If you're the, you know, the side that's not taking up those bills, um, that does not look as good. And, and so just the way it p- played out, the way it sort of positioned here, um, I think uh, House Democrats like Horn look better. What's interesting is, um, and this will be the case for a year and a half, is watching where Horn picks her battles. We've talked about this before. She she comes in with a, uh, I was talking about the class she comes in with. It's a pretty liberal Democratic class. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of freshmen who are really riled up, who um, are very, uh, very liberal to the left of their party. And they're, uh, you know, giving very passionate speeches or saying very passionate things about the president. And... um, they certainly have the right to do that, and they're probably representing their district when they do it because they're in very liberal districts, and that's fine. But Horn has to watch where she you know, joins up. Um, and this is, again, I'm not saying anything that she doesn't already know or her office doesn't already know, but she has to kind of pick her battles here. She, we saw this during the campaign. She almost never mentioned the president mm-hmm. uh, because the president won here um, in this county, in her district at least, in 2016 it was narrow um and it may not happen in 2020 but it did happen then so at best he's polling maybe you know 45 to 55 somewhere in there right now he's kind of a non-factor in that race against russell and so she has to decide she's in a what you have to call a toss-up district what previously we would call a republican district Mm -hmm. (laughs) before a democrat won it so she has to watch where she aligns herself, and uh, it'll be really interesting a week uh, or so, um, to d- a week from tomorrow, there is uh, her first town hall. It'll be two hours 
uh, and I forget the exact location. I don't have it in front of me, but we'll have plenty on it uh, certainly leading up to it. It will be a two-hour event on a Saturday morning, and there will be some people who are riled up. Mm-hmm. I mean, who will <laughs> some people who already didn't like her, already just you know generally uh, opposed uh, in philosophy, and will are going to let her hear. And her supporters are going to be very defensive and. I think it's going to be a raucous affair, and how she handles that will be the, a real test because you don't get that in campaigns. You don't get people who come out to oppose you in a campaign. You're, you're surrounded by supporters. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, no, those are great points. And I think um, you know, two will be interesting to watch is how does this, how does this shutdown, however long it lasts, how does it impact, you know, her potential competitor? And um, you know, at some point this year, we're probably going to hear someone announce that they're running. I mean, in, in, oh, you know, yeah. in House elections, you're always running for re-election. There's always a challenger, you know, waiting for you. And, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that this shutdown has last six months. I might laugh at that like you did at the idea of one month. But <laughs> yeah. who knows? We may get there. And if issues like this, I, I think these are, you know, it's a political show. So let's we'll talk the politics of it. Um, but issues like this, I think, are good for her because, one, because of what you already said, well is that you know she's working she's doing something but i think for republicans if they want to win, win this seat i think they i think they're probably going to look try to find you know a, a polished moderate republican maybe a business focused republican um who's not really out there on social issues yeah um you know knowing where the district is headed but if you're running as a republican and the main issue is a government shutdown or a like-minded issue you know, how do you come down on that issue? I mean, how do you come down? Do you come down and say, like, well, I think the president's right to be, uh, you know, digging in his heels over a border wall? I mean, that's it. Just puts your Republican challenger in a tough spot. So it may, yeah, it, I think it is is beneficial for Horn right now. And if the shutdown ends in a month, you know, six months from now, we may have a similar issue right now, where the president's going to loom large in the 2020 election um, for CD5, and I think it helps. I think it. I think it helped Horn. I mean, this is a toss-up district just based on the numbers. But uh, um, you know, like you said, he won the district. Um, he may not in, in 2020. Um, but uh, if Horn can pre- presents herself as a solutions-oriented, you know, just left of center congresswoman who's working hard for her district, uh, you know, I think that bodes well for her. So, well, be interesting to watch. We'll. Uh, see if the shutdown continues next week if it, if it is i'm sure we'll talk about it or we'll be talking about the end of it and, <laughs> yeah. and where we go where we go from here so well that's gonna do it for this week's episode of political state from the oklahoma you can find each and every episode in your favorite podcasting app you can also find us on youtube uh, watch the video feed if you prefer with justin wingeter i'm ben felder thanks for joining us we'll see you again next week mm-hmm.